0: welcome to the dfd a podcast dedicated to all things dairy farming each episode we chat with industry leaders who share insights and their experiences into the dairy business i'm your host keith Schweitzer, and i hope you enjoy this episode of the podcast Hi everybody! Welcome back to the DFD podcast. I'm your host uh, Keith Schweitzer. I'm pretty excited today to have two esteemed guests on from uh, Kirkton Vet Clinic, uh, Dr. Mac Littlejohn and Dr. Reg Clinton. And uh, I think today's topic is pretty fitting. We came off a pretty uh, smoking hot week class there, uh, week uh, last week with uh, some high heat and humidity in Ontario. And uh, I thought it'd be a great time to talk about, you know, what's happening in barns and how we can do some preventative uh, cooling to keep these uh, girls working through the summer with all these uh, incentives and things that we have on. So, Mac, uh, why don't you say hi and introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your, yourself.
1: Uh, hi, Keith. Thanks for having me on. Um, I've uh, been with Kirkton essentially my whole career since 2002. And um, I've got a keen interest in... Um, uh, sort of respiratory issues and vaccination treatment, as well as, uh, ventilation of calf burns. And, um, the, I guess segue to that is some heat abatement, um, in, uh, bigger cattle. So dairy cows, feedlot cattle, etc. Um, yeah, so that's, uh, I guess why I'm uh, talking to
0: you today. And uh, Doctor Reg Clinton, how are you today? And would you like to introduce yourself? I know you're a return guest to the podcast. You're a sucker for punishment, so.
2: Yeah, well, thanks for asking us, Keith. Um, we got uh, two vets here from Elgin County, born and, and half raised, and um, so I guess that's why we're talking about heat because everything's so hot down in Elgin. Um, well,
0: this. This is all, all Elgin-focused podcast, so I don't yeah, that's know do that right. about yeah. me. I'm a, I'm a Western Elgin person. so.
2: Mm-hmm. In the bowels of West Elgin.
1: It's the only place to grow up. Even.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Get those cool uh, eerie breezes on the North Shore. So uh, so yeah, as I was mentioning before, uh, we came off a pretty uh, pretty hot week last week. So what were, uh, maybe Mac, were you seeing in some of these barns and as it relates to, to heat abatement?
1: Uh, well, typically, what you usually see is, or when the cows start to get heat stress, you have to remember the cows. Were, really likes to be between five and ten degrees Celsius. She doesn't want to be any hotter than that. As soon as they get, as soon as the temperature gets north of, uh, I don't know, probably fifteen, um, in certain areas of the barn, you will start to see a cow increase her respiratory rate, and that means you know um, she's starting to get hot and she's trying to blow off some heat. Um, other things that can, you know, can lead to, uh, heat stressed cows. Um, they can't lie down for as long of time because they get too hot. So they want to stand up. So do they start to perch maybe? Um, and if that's the case, do we end up with more, you know, as they stand on concrete for a longer period of time, we can end up with more, uh, ulcers, lameness, secondary to that. Um, Really, you know, what you want a cow to do to make milk is to uh, go to the bunk, eat, get a drink of water, lie down, and chew her cut. And if there's reasons why she can't do that because she's getting too hot and she needs to stand up, um, then uh, we need to put some uh, cooling mechanisms in place. And there's various ways to do that. Um, the simplest way is uh, wind on your back. Um, and we need about, uh, 400, over 400, uh, feet per minute, um, going across her back to, uh, to drop her temperature and keep her comfortable.
0: Yeah. So that's, uh, that's pretty interesting. I know we've seen lots of, uh, signs of heat stress, uh, last week. I know lots of cows yarding up around water troughs, lots of, uh, lots of cows perching in stalls, lots of extra saliva, you know, higher respirates rates. Like Reg, do you think um, the cows will kind of battle through this first bout, or, or is it going to get worse or, or what are your thoughts on that?
2: Yeah. I always think that you lose one of three things right away, milk, fat, or repo um, on heat stress. And some of the other things like your ulcerations um, and other long-term effects show up within a couple months, um, I do think that cows are kind of like the, uh, the old stone house. Once it gets hot, it's hot for a long time. Once it gets Mm -hmm. cold, it's cold for a long time. So I think those things are cumulative, uh, three, four days in a row with, um, somewhat cooler nights, you might be able to hold on. Okay. Um, but oftentimes it's on that fourth and fifth day that it knocks the crud out of them or saliva, as you said.
0: Yeah. It seems like they kind of, uh, the weather i guess kind of broke on saturday or sunday there and and you know just kind of analyzing some bulk tanks this morning and seeing some of the effects of that you know seeing some elevated muns some some lower uh, milk uh, productions and and lower fat productions so it's just kind of interesting it's it's not typical i guess to have that much heat in the in the last part of may and the early early part of june it's you know we usually reserve those warm nights for july when you can kind of hear the corn grow but uh It's just interesting. Um, it seems the trend is that it's moving. Um, we're getting these heat events earlier and earlier in the season, you know, it's, there's not much of a spring, although this year we had a bit more of a spring, but it, you know, three weeks ago we were talking about snow and then we go right into, uh, you know, 30 degree plus weather with hundred percent humidity. So I think it's just a lot of, uh, cumulative effects that we could be seeing here. Uh, Mac, you said something interesting about fans and, uh, that, can you maybe just walk us through some of the, the different ways that we can, we can cool cows and how fans uh, can impact that.
1: Um, so they need to be, they have to have a certain wind speed. So 400 feet per minute at the cow level. I don't know how that converts to meters per second. Um, I'm probably sure there's an app out there to do that, but, um, and you want that the biggest problem I see in burns, Keith, is that the cows, the fans are in the wrong spot. And I've been in lots of barns where, um, you've got big ass fans going down the middle of the barn, um, which is great to dry out your feed and, um, and cool the cows heads down while they're eating, but it doesn't do much when they go to lie down in the stalls when that's when they really need it. Um, so it's not, it's not really rocket science and we've got tools out there to measure fan speed at the cow level. Um, but typically that, and those are just, you know, when we get to that point, I think you're sort of fine tuning the machine. I think the most important thing is to get the fans, um, low enough and going across the cows. Um, and, uh, essentially if there's no flies on the cows, which is another bonus of having wind, Mm -hmm. um, we've got enough we've got enough wind on them typically and I'm not really fussy I prefer box fans the rule of thumb that's going to depend on the type of fan and how much CFM it'll kick out but the rule of thumb is every foot of fan will throw air 10 feet so if you have a four foot box fan it should push air roughly 40 feet you don't want to go more than that anyway but and each fan manufacturer will be a little bit different so if you can keep that in mind, um, that will help out as well. The other thing I see, um, especially in tail to tail barns is that you'll have just by the way the barns are designed, you'll have fans uh, on the inside row of stalls, but the cows on the outside row don't get what they need. And, um, if you come to the barn at the right time, you're going to see, um, what stalls get grabbed first. And they're always the ones on the inside, um, on in tail to tail barn. If I was, to build a barn um, from scratch, I'd always build it head-to-head for two reasons. One, you can put uh, fans down the middle of the platform in the head-to-head stall and you can cool all the cows at once. And then the other reason is that depending on how the barn is oriented north, south, east, west, you don't have any sun coming on the, in on the cows on the outside row, which is hitting the concrete um, or green for that matter, depending on the season.
0: Yeah, I know we see that uh, lots in the tail to tails are like the typical five or six row barns that we have in Ontario where you'll go in there and all the cows are either laying or perching in the center. And depending on the time of day, you know, in the morning, they might not be laying on the east side and in the afternoon, they might not be laying on the west side. I know it's pretty, a pretty typical thing to see. Um, Just to like, to cooling the cows, like if we're going to use water, like what I guess this question is for both of you guys, like should we be using, uh, sprinklers or misters or a combination of both? Like what, what would be the, I guess the ideal, uh, heat abatement strategy when it comes to, to using water?
1: Um, I prefer, I don't know if I, I prefer sprinklers and I prefer, um, sprinklers that have a, um, I don't know the size of the droplet, but I prefer to, uh, a larger droplet size sprinkler, and I like them over top of the feed rail. Um, the most important thing with the sprinklers is they have to deliver enough water, and they have to deliver it in a certain amount of time. So it doesn't really matter. You can, if you increase your droplet size, you can have your water on for a shorter period of time, um, or if you de- if they have a smaller droplet size, you can have to go a little bit longer for that section of, you know, for that section of the barn. But the most important thing is that when a cow stands there, after she stands there for, you know, the length of time she goes up to the bunk to eat, after she stands there and the sprinklers have been on once or twice or three times, a white, best way to tell is a a white cow looks pink and she's been washed (laughs) because you have to be, that water has to get through the skin, through the hair to the skin. And then, you know, she's wet enough. And then she has to be able to walk away from that, um, walk away from the sprinkler, grab a drink of water and then go lie down. And then she, but she has to have wind on her back because if you wet a cow and then don't cool her down with evaporative cooling using some, using some uh, wind, um, she's just going to get hot again or get hotter. So uh, water is fine, but you can't put the water in before the fans. The fans have to come first
0: yeah Reggie, did you have any thoughts on that
2: yeah I, I agree um with that a bigger droplet really soak them uh kind of a, a side note I guess is uh what you said Keith about some of the changes in the weather pattern we still get July weather we just might get it in April and May um mm. at <laughs> any given year but it, it does um uh, uh I guess kind of when you look at some of these cows you're standing behind them and um you know their hair coats haven't fully fallen out and you get about a heat stress and you put water on them sometimes they get matted down pretty good so mm-hmm. i think um you know in line with some of the sprinklers and fans that we're focusing on here some of those grooming devices that you have in the barns the brushes and and things like that are pretty important too just to make sure that that uh, you know, that part of the cow is, is cleaned off and you can wet it and, and get expected results on on water and wind to cool them down. And I would add that uh, one of the best inventions recently that we've seen is the shower for walking out of a robot and how some of those cows just absolutely take their time coming out of the robot, getting drenched um, uh, before, they, before they leave. And they seem to really appreciate that um, if you're anthropomorphizing for how a cow feels uh, <laughs> when she's getting <laughs> drenched by a shower uh they do they do like it it does a great job of really getting them wet and you're you know you're focused on a cow to and then probably go up to the bunk and eat and get some wind blowing on her there as well yeah and i
0: think that is a pretty uh pretty small investment to set up the showers at the end of the at the end of the robots because i think a lot of them are just using a regular typical head or uh or a soaking like a fire hose nozzle and and some water and i don't know like are they throwing a an activation switch on it so like when it opens up it it kicks a switch over and then it just starts pouring water out or, or how's that working reg
2: yeah it's even it's even more simple than that anybody with a, a piece of pvc pipe and a, and a drill with a uh i don't know what size of bit but they've made them bigger recently versus the little mm-hmm. spray ones they had they've made big soaker holes in them now and yes an activation switch for when that um that unit comes off or the arm pulls away then the water starts up so it's working really well
0: yeah because they're doing it on exit right correct
2: yes yeah Exit oh, yeah. for okay. sure so you don't get the feed wet
0: yeah and it's funny like thinking about different heat abatement strategies i know i went to California and I think it was 2019 and I thought oh great we're going to learn lots about heat abatement and stuff here but because it's such a dry arid climate they can actually go a little bit hotter and I was very surprised to see like there wasn't a lot of misters and there wasn't a lot of of fans to be honest, but when we went down into uh, the Southeast US into like Georgia and Florida down that way, you know, the humidity is such a killer in the summer, you know, they're talking 110 degrees Fahrenheit. So, you know, 35, 40 degrees Celsius with 100% humidity, like they full out said everything that they they said about their production, they prefaced, except for in the summer, except for in the summer. So they, you know, we run a 25% preg rate, except for in the summer. So I think uh, I learned a lot down there about how we can kind of use their climate, which is a little bit more similar to ours, to try and get, uh, try and get cows cooled. So, so what's happening physiologically uh, with these cows that are heat stressed?
1: That was a very good question. Um, what's going to happen is that they are going to um, start – blowing off as they try to cool themselves they're going to start to blow off more carbon dioxide and by doing that they are actually going to lower their um uh, the pH in their blood essentially so the cow's become a little bit it throws their pH off a little bit so we yeah um when you when you take carbon dioxide and there's a fancy chemical you know, molecule uh, equation, when you're blowing off carbon dioxide the, um, in excess, you're changing the pH of the animal. And by changing the pH of the animal, you're changing all sorts of physiological processes um, in, in, in the whole, in the, across the entire animal. So it's, it, uh, you know, like Reg has mentioned before, a cow can take a lot for a short period of time, and they can recover when they get cooled down, and they can help uh, stop that stop that uh, excess respiration. But you're going to affect by affecting the pH, you're affecting all sorts of processes across the body. So it's a, it's essentially a, a multi-organ, entire body shift in certain things. So um, to pinpoint one, what exactly happens? Uh, exactly, um, that's a that's a pretty big. That's like that's like a week's lecture in ruminant uh, physiology, and I don't know if uh, I could explain it good enough, or uh, <laughs> or or, <laughs> or you don't want to listen to it for that one.
2: Yeah, basically, it throws them out of whack, and um, it affects everything down the line. Um, they just can't uh, <laughs> breathe enough, drink enough, eat enough to compensate for it.
0: Yeah, I know, and I I was actually uh, recording today too with uh, Chelsea talking about some of the the nu- nutritional requirements and some of the the nutritional strategies that we can kind of do to uh, to to help these girls out. And one of the biggest thing is just compensating for the lower dry matter intake. You know they're just not going to eat as much. So we've got to get, we've got to fortify, I guess, that ration a lot more, you know, we not got to get a lot of the the positive decad minerals into them, you know, your salts, uh, like sodiums and potassiums and, uh, and magnesiums into them just to kind of help them buffer, I guess, from what Mac was saying, like buffer the blood a little bit and try and keep them uh, homeostasis, I guess, a little bit more normal to what that cow would be doing um, under kind of normal circumstances. And I guess what's the I guess what's the main catalyst to repro in the summer? Like, is it that blood pH drop that you're talking, or is it just the overall heat of that cow? Or, or like, what can we do to, uh, to help you know keep our uh, keep our cows more pregnant in the summer?
2: Well, all those things that you do to um, you know keep her in a happy environment, uh, temperature wise, water wise, uh, feed intake wise, are going to improve your pregnancies and your pregnancy rate. Um, you know, a, a healthy cow that's performing well has a good chance of getting pregnant. So all of the things for cow comfort are, are going to help um, as far as um, additives or special products on that. There are a few small things, uh, but uh, again, they're kind of window dressing between cooling the, cooling the cows and, and making life as comfortable for them as possible. Um, when it comes to the, um, to the dry cows, I think that that's maybe been a under um, talked about point because you see, you know, spikes in RPs and DAs for cows that cabin in October, mm-hmm. um, September, October. And um, there was always the uh, comment that, well, you know, everything's good now. The intakes are great, but they have lag on heat stress from, from July and August when they were dry and no fans of the dry cow pen and, maybe a little bit crowded because uh, our breeding program, you know, caught up or we kept more animals around to hit incentives um, or to try to max out on October milk. That's always hard to make. So I think, yeah, my, my bottom answer would be just make everybody more comfortable throughout it. Yeah. Mac,
0: did you have any thoughts on that?
1: Uh, My only thought is I think I may have, uh, I think I may have, said that the pH of the animal will drop it actually rises um, yeah. I have notes written down here because I, I wanted to talk about calves as well and for some yeah. reason that jumped into my head about mm-hmm. uh, calf scours calf calves lose bicarb um, when they scour and become acidic their body becomes acidic when calves when cows breathe when an animal breathes too fast um, they're actually they're, they're blowing off co2 but in the meantime at the same time um, they're actually losing hydrogen ions, which is um, um, which is what causes, which in the body makes us more acidic. So they're losing those, they actually become mm-hmm. more alkaline or the pH rises. So I need to uh, fix that in case there's any physiologists out there uh, listening. <laughs>
0: I'm sure we're allowed to uh, we're allowed to make mistakes on here when we're just spitballing. You know, it's uh, it's okay. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, I think it's a good segue too to talk about calves. Mac, I think we'll talk about calves and maybe we'll bring it back to the dry cows. But like, what can producers do with calves this time of year to kind of help combat heat stress? It's
1: essentially, the same thing as with the cow. i probably they, they can handle a lot less. Um, to get in a lot more heat than a cow can, because especially non-ruminant, non-ruminant, uh, ruminating calves, um, the rumen produces a lot of heat, um, mm-hmm. which is why cows can take such cold weather. The only thing you have to do with calves is that you just have to, you're just dropping your wind speed on the calf. So instead of uh 400 plus on a cow, on a, on a young calf, you're going to be at about a hundred um, feet per minute on a young calf. Um, and there's different ways to do that. You can set up same thing. You can set up some box fans higher up, higher, you know, higher above the calf. By the time the the, the wind hits the calves and they're lying down, it's not too fast. You can put up uh, different um, ventilation tubes. I'm sure lots of people have seen those around. There's different. Yeah. Uh, most of the time, those ventilation tubes are put in for uh, winter time ventilation, and the air changes per hour. I've had most success between four and five air changes an hour. When you get into the hot, hot weather, you're going uh, 40 to 60 air changes an hour. Holy Um, cow. So, Yeah, so you're really putting air on these calves. And then you can design these tubes. You can design these tubes so that you can actually deliver um, when it's hot out. So let's say when it hits 25 and you want to cool these calves down and, and get the flies off them, you can design the holes on these tubes to... Uh, when the when the air hits the ground, or when essentially six to you know, twelve inches off the ground where the calf's lying down, you can design them so that uh, there's 100 feet per minute at the calf level, and that should cool it down. And you just set set those fans on a thermostat so they come on at 25 and cool the calves down. And then when it gets below 25, they shut off.
0: Is is there a risk of uh, drafting the calves even with the, with the heat stress like that? Like there you is if i them. think
1: there is i think there is on certain aged calves but um, as long as you're as long as you're in that hundred feet per minute range and you're not getting too much like if you were going to hit them with 400 feet per minute like you would a cow i think you could yeah it just has, okay. to, be, it just has to be set up yeah. properly yeah. And,
0: and is there a difference like if you're going to hit them with that kind of wind speed is there a difference in the bedding that you would use like would it make more sense to go to a inorganic bedding in the summer or do you stay with the organic like a straw or, or shavings or I'm just wondering, cause if you're looking at like nestling scores and stuff like that too, a lot of it is so they get in there that wind, but yeah,
1: yeah.
0: you know, but not when it's 25. No, no. Well, I, and that's, I guess that's what I'm asking. So
1: typically, typically what I recommend is in the winter time using long straw. And then in this, depending on what uh, the, the type of farm or what they're typically using, um, switch to shavings in the summertime. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I do know guys that just have they've got their uh, they've got them on, you know, on a robot feeder, and they're just they take the bedding out and they're just on a sand. They're just on sand. Um, but you're right, you're right, Keith. They don't need any. They don't need any nestling stores. They don't need any bedding. Um, maybe the little calves do at the start, but uh, when it's when it's like last week, mm-hmm. when I was having a shower at a barn doing doing herd health. Um, which felt fantastic, actually. I didn't think I'd like to get that wet. It felt great um, <laughs> um, when it's this hot out. Uh, I don't think they don't need a lot of they don't need a lot of bedding. They just need enough to soak up the urine and the and the manure.
0: Yeah, maybe that's uh, I. I think I have seen kind of a shift towards sand in the summer in a lot of farms too. You know, if they can use sand in the calving pens or in the or in the calf hutches and that, like I, I think. Producers have more of a appetite for it than they did say maybe five years ago.
2: Yeah, and, and to that, when you're doing, um, you know, it's two different needs for ventilation in calf barns. Like, uh, you know, everybody put the tubes in to deliver fresh air, but they don't mm-hmm. do any cooling at all for the calves in some nursery barns. Uh, there's been, uh, you know, fans installed. And the one thing, you know, if you blow over top of the, the dividers, it doesn't always drop down um, over the calves. It's kind of removing whatever rises up out of those divided pens. Um, if you put them in the alleyway and kind of direct them on a bit of an angle, they'll catch the front part of that, that divider and blow into the pen. Um, and, you know, in the early days of viewing of some of those barns there, you can really watch the calf behavior. And if there's any avoidance pattern for too much wind going on them and, and we didn't see any, at that, um, you know, at just over a hundred feet per minute on some of those barns. So, you've got a little bit of, of thought mechanics to go, thought exercises to go into when you're when you're putting cooling fans into calf barns. And yeah. um, you know, hutches are a whole different story. But
0: yeah, learning like get
2: individual fans in a hutch.
0: Yeah, but you see a lot more people. You know, even just propping the back up. I know it's going to cost a fortune trying to find some four by fours this year to do it, but uh, might have to remortgage a farm or two. But uh, <laughs> you know, you see them like they're putting stones or they're putting you know four by fours underneath the back just to kind of give a little bit of a an air gap in there, I guess, to get get some air moving through those hutches.
2: Stacks of discarded PPE. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, have you guys seen any yep. producers that are throwing in? you know, electrolyte feedings in the summer, you know, instead of maybe milk in a feeding or anything like that?
2: Not instead of, but, um, you know, either a, a midday feeding of electrolytes or um, a nighttime feeding, um, or even if you know there's a period of stress coming up, kind of preconditioning some of those calves, whether, you know, you have, um, let's say you're, you're battling with a little bit of scours and you know, it starts on day 10. Well, start feeding some electrolytes on day nine, eight, nine, ahead of that uh, blip that you see in your calf population. Um, but just for straight heat stress, it would be an extra meal away from the milk feeding to offer them some electrolytes. And, and it, it's a good practice because um, you definitely, those little calves can change their blood pH pretty quickly if they start breathing heavy or have any other sort of ailment affecting them.
0: Did you have any thoughts on that, Mac? No, not Really, the only thing I uh, that I want to jump back
1: to the robot um, and Reg's uh, talk about the shower coming out of the robot. Um, I think if you've got a robot barn, you should have a fan, and I've seen it in a few. You need to have a fan, a good size one, blowing right on the cow. It's it's got to be hot in that box. But uh, like mm-hmm. it had to be hot last week. And as far as that, yeah, as far as electrolytes go, with um, uh, calves. I, I really like the uh, I really like Reg's idea of uh, it's kind of a Gatorade uh, pre game. Uh, you know, if you're gonna pre- go perform in your best over 50 hockey ter- hockey game, you, gotta, <laughs> you know, get some Gatorade in you, but um, the huff and puff <laughs> before you start to lose all your electrolytes. I think, yeah, I think that's a great idea. If you know you're, you're battling a little bit of scours because of a calving pressure, you just got a, glut- a glutton of calves coming through um i think if everything's ticking along great and you don't um you don't have any uh, issues like that and it, it's going to be hot but the sh- let's say the hutches are in the shade or you've got a little bit of a little bit of uh, wind speed there just you know water lots and lots of fresh water but it's got to be fresh and just like you or i we like to drink water out of the tap right away we don't like to sit there and drink it uh, a day later
0: yeah that's one thing that i i have here um I really wanted to touch on I know we talk about it all the time is is water nutrition but I just want to go back and uh, kind of finish up with the calves thing and and talk about dry cows and like how heat of payment in that pen can help calves out did you have any uh thoughts on that uh mac
1: um I don't think I would treat the dry cow any different um than the milking cow I don't think they need I don't think they need sprinklers. You know, they're in a They're you know, they're on their eight-week holiday. Um, they can still get hot. they can still uh, keep them cool. I think it's the same premise. Um, the same premise: keep them comfortable, keep them lying down. You don't want a dry cow coming in, uh, going in into the fresh, into the close-up group, and then uh, you know. Uh, a week or two into her uh, lactation, she's got a sore foot because she was standing up too long in the drive Um It all comes down to, it all really comes down to comfortable um, stalls or comfortable uh, uh, bedding somewhat, whether it's a pack barn or where you've got stalls for them. Um, lots of room to walk around if they want, and, but lots, just lots of, uh, lots of wind. They're out of the sun because they're in the barn. I don't really like dry cows outside, but... Um, At least I don't like the close-up dry cows outside, Mm -hmm. Uh, especially this time of year. They're going to be eating whatever pasture is, whatever grass is growing in the pasture. And uh, that doesn't bode well for a a transition, uh, a successful transition. So really for for me and dry cows, it just comes down to comfortable. Uh, No different than the dairy cows, other than I probably wouldn't put a, a sprinkler in, just lots of rooms.
2: Yeah I I agree that um, you know although a sprinkler is nice um, to really help cool down probably not necessarily if you've got your dry cow spaced out and lots of room Uh, definitely want to make sure you have enough water bowls or at least enough access points for water bowls and I think uh, we're talking four linear inches per cow uh, in there and two access points so (laughs) you don't get that boss cow standing with her feet in the water bowl, looking at all the others, just daring them to come drink. <laughs> and then, you know, maybe slightly different than the, um, the, dairy, the lactating cows. Uh, you definitely want to have a lot of air moving over that pack to, you know, encourage them to lay down comfortably and not have to get up and down because they're hot. Uh, and that is somewhere where some of the, um, the big, bigger fans can be utilized. They don't necessarily get quite uh as fast as the box fans but over top of a pack you can you can get some decent wind speeds there um versus having them over the feed alley which was uh you know one of the early mistakes for the those big ass fans and then just watch your numbers your total numbers spread them out as best you can
0: yeah i think that's one of the things especially with incentives and stuff you know june is typically i'd say may june or typically uh producers are drying off more than what they're calving in and I think we start to see at this time of year where we're putting a lot more pressure on some of those, uh, those dry cow pens and dry cow packs and things like that, where, you know, I think we have to go to that next level where we have to, you know, make sure like if we have a, you know, a stock tank kicking around the farm, you know, it, m- it might make sense to throw that extra stock tank in the into the dry cow pen, just cause you know, they are eating a handful of shreddies every time they go up there, like with those high straw diets that, you know, are typically fed um, I think it, they just get so dry, not only in the bunk, but you know, when the cows eat them, we've all ate a handful of like a few saltines or some shreddies and things like that. Like, I guess that's the only way I can, uh, draw a comparison <laughs> back to what some of these high dry, high uh, straw diets, what tastes like, but you know, you always want to go, uh, you always want a big drink of water after so. I know some of these cows, we put a lot of pressure on them, uh, in the milking pen. And, and like you said, Mac, they're on their holiday, but I think we gotta, we gotta treat them, treat them to a beach resort, not a, uh, not a up North cottage where you're still working. Right. So,
2: (laughs) so, so Keith, where's the, um, the, the low DCAD and anionics diets fit in here? Is that a bigger push this time of year from your standpoint? Um, or, or what are you aiming for on some of those changes?
0: I, I'm of the thought lately that I think DCAD is the way to go everywhere all the time. If you can make it work on a management, um, into your management system. Now, not every farm can make that work just because of our scale. Like a lot of times, you know, if you're, if the dry cows are all going into one pack and they're going into one pack and staying there the whole time, you know, if it comes down to feeding dry cads, or sorry, uh, decad through that whole period, or just feeding close ups. I'd say, or not feeding it at all. I guess I would say don't feed it at all. I just don't think there's a benefit to feeding it. You know, more than say six weeks. Um, but definitely this time of year, I think it really helps with uh, with mineral uh, mobilization and, and helping those cows kind of get off to the best start they can. And I know that um, the research will tell you there is a is a milk increase from it. So I think anything that we can do to try and get a milk increase coming into times where, you know, we're going to put more pressure on our barns uh, for incentives to fill that extra little bit of milk. I think decat is one of those retroactive things that you can go back and do uh, to kind of, to, to help out your, your bottom line at the end of the day. So.
2: So what about um, number of times a day feeding and adding water to dry cow rations?
0: Um, like dry cow rations, it's really, really hard to get a good mix on uh one time a day in in some of these farms cuz a lot of the farms are geared up to have big uh PTO uh, uh mixers like the like the screw mixers and it's just really hard to get some of those uh dry cow diets um mixed up properly or, or well enough when you're feeding once a day so i i think feeding twice a day in dry cows is kind of almost out of the question if it uh, just for a mixing standpoint But I think adding water to them still helps. Like you said, you just have to be, you have to watch heating. Like you just can't get it to heat. And it's like a tinderbox, right? So you got all this dry material with some corn silage that has some, a sugar substrate that is typically, um, you might have some wild yeast in there. And then you got these fans that are going through the barn and that air moving. So it's like, it's like proliferating those yeast to get them up and get growing. So, you know, if you are going to feed once a day, I think if you're going to have to spend some money on a micro or like a feed uh, additive for the TMR, I think that's where you start with is with the dry cows to to make sure that their feed stays cool. Um, with milk cows, I think because our mixers are typically designed to feed larger groups, I think you can get away with feeding twice a day better. Um, so I would concentrate on that maybe over the dry cows. But it's a good question because uh, you know there's still enough producers out there that are feeding every other day uh, to some dry cows and stuff in the summer. And I think, you know, for the months of June, July, August, and probably half of September, you know, I think it makes more sense to go back to feeding once a day.
2: I was going to say, yeah, we'd like to see that of course, but, uh, like you said, it all depends on size and management and, uh, mm-hmm. uh, things like that.
0: Yeah. But it's a real, it's a real issue. And I really seen it a lot, probably more last summer than I have in the past is uh, dry cow TMRS heating. And I really do think it was, uh, we're seeing more and more pressure from wild yeasts and molds in in corn silage and i think that kind of proliferates more in the dry cow diets just because they aren't as dense like they're a lot more airy and you can get some more air into that uh into that tmr in the feed so it kind of gets those yeasts kicked into gear and gets some heating up a lot more than say a milk cow diet i was just looking here what about fly pressure i know Mac, you mentioned earlier that, uh, if we could get those wind speeds high enough, we have to worry less about, about flies, but what are some things that can, producers can do to kind of help, uh, mitigate some of that uh, fly pressure?
1: Yeah. So other than, other than the, uh, other than the wind speed, um, there are, um, you know, there's all sorts of commercial products out there that, uh, you can use for baits. Um, there's, uh, sprays that you can and I know some guys have sprayed the whole barn. The most important thing that I and I learned this from a, I learned this from some uh, biosecurity guy that was working for a, a particular company and he's, he's walked around the barn with me one time and just showed me all where, where the maggots like to hang out and those are the future flies. So if we can keep those things from, if we can keep the areas where flies lay their eggs to a minimum, um, that helps a long, uh, goes a long way to help. So things like uh, pushed up feed or uh, refusals, feed refusals that you mm-hmm. sort of shoved in the corner, um, leave that there for a couple of days and then go pick it up with your hand and see how many maggots are in it because <laughs> there'll, be some, there'll be a lot in there. Um, so scoop that stuff, get it out of there, put it in the pit. Um, a, a manure underneath, uh, if you've got, um, you know, you've got... Uh, scraper barns, or it doesn't really matter, but along the along the walls where the, uh, the, the essentially the curb uh, that attaches to the feed bunk, and then the curb in the alley, that curb where it attaches to the, where your stalls start on a head-to-head. Anyway, you've got a higher curb there. Um, just start scraping some of that manure off the side because you'll find some stuff caked underneath there and some maggots growing there. Um, just try and keep the manure. Um, anything that's sitting whether it's rotten feed or old feed or uh, just try and keep things a little cleaner and you'll have less fl- you'll have less future flies down the way. Um, there's lots of uh, fly sprays out there you know there's Boss, poron and silence and I'm not plugging either company it doesn't really matter um, and you spray the spray the cows themselves and that keeps the flies off them likely for three to four weeks um, and it just Again, goes back to energy. Cows need all their energy to produce as much um, milk as they can. So, if they're spending energy breathing or they're spending energy swatting flies or standing together in a group, and that just heats them up even more. um, You know, I I get phone calls every year. I got all my cows standing at one end of the barn, uh, all grouped together. And it's because that's probably where the best air is, but there's also flies. So, they bunch together to to be able to swat each other's flies, and you'll see beef. You know, you drive down the countryside, you'll see beef cows the same way. They'll all stand together mm-hmm. and swat flies as they uh, as they can. Um, you know, just put some fly sprays on them. Um, you can and spray the perimeter. Keep the grass along the outside of the outside of the barn. Keep it short. Flies love to hide in grass. Um, so you know, get your uh, get your kids out on the lawnmower and cut the grass along the outside of the barn. <laughs> Um, that kind of stuff. Make sure all the chains and stuff have been picked up, and you're gonna have to fix it all um Yeah, just those oh, yeah. little things will help keep, help keep flies down.
0: You know, I, I get those calls every year. You know, our our cows are bunching between like ten and two, and then after that, they're they're not bunching anymore. But I think a lot of that is the flies get so bloody hot outside in the grass outside the barn, they just go inside during during those high, uh, high sun hours and then kind of go back out. So do you think it's the, like the bunching is more of them trying to escape sun or it is, or it is them, uh, trying to get, uh, get rid of flies?
1: Well, I've seen it in, I've seen it in barns where there, uh, it's, there isn't really any sun on the barn. So I think, it's, <clears> I think it's flies. Yeah. And, uh, in the barns that I've seen it, in, I know it's, I know it was flies because the, uh, yeah, they sprayed the cows or sprayed the barn and the behavior stopped. So, in those instances.
2: It's one thing that came up actually was some new barn constructions and it, and it speaks to Max saying they go out and uh, hide out in the grass. Um, anybody that kind of blew their budget on their barn and didn't have enough left over for the landscaping around the, the <laughs> outsides, uh, the putting the big piles of dirt back, uh, that's a factor there too, because flies do come in and they, they'll they feed and then they'll go back out. So That pattern of uh, bunching is sometimes associated with the fly pattern as well, Uh, whether it be the flies are looking for heat abatement from the grass or they're actually coming in to feed. But I think some of those things with the cows, too, is a little bit learned behavior that once they start seems to perpetuate as well. Um, And so whatever we can do to break that up sooner than later seems to be beneficial
0: yeah i know uh i know a couple herds and it looks kind of crazy in the summer when you get in the heat of the day but they'll they'll close you know the curtains up three quarters of the way and it almost creates like a tunnel or a wind like a tunnel vented barn and i find it really helps keep cows from bunching and it it, it makes sense with if you keep the wind speed up then the flies can't can't sit down or they just don't like being in there so that's another thing with the robots i think that you talked about or touched on earlier there. Mac too is uh, about fans on the robots. Is they really get a lot of pressure from fans because there's a lot of substrate around the robot, you know, whether it be wasted feed or manure or milk uh, spilt. But there's a lot of uh, a lot of area for flies around there, and it can really impact a, a herd's visits uh, in the summer and um, incompletes because you know the cow's sitting there getting bit, so she's just going to start kicking at that robot arm to try and get out of the roll pot and get away from and get away from those flies. So, um, and I guess the last thing that I kind of want to touch on and have on my list here is, uh, what are you guys thoughts on water nutrition?
2: I think the water is pretty important. Um, the, obviously you want to do an analysis to see there. Cause if your uh, if your water's out of whack, then, um, the, uh, it's going to affect how you're trying to balance for your decad and things like that. And you mm-hmm. want to make sure that you can get proper consumption. But the one thing, not the one thing, uh, something we've seen uh, in the last few years is water treatment uh, showing a massive benefit on, um, on some of the barns, especially with some of the you know recycled water or water that is uh, sitting in cisterns for a little while. Um, we've measured some water trough uh, total coliform counts or total bacterial counts, mm-hmm. seen some pretty high numbers. Put treatment in, and and you do see water uh, intake improve. And therefore feed and milk, feed intake and milk production improve as well. Um, So the first first thing would be make sure you have enough access to lots of water, lots of access points. Then let's start checking to make sure that the water that they're drinking is what it's supposed to be. Mostly H2O and not a lot of uh, manure, manure, algae, bacteria, lime, calcium, whatever else
0: yeah or sulfur or brackish water
2: or anything like that i had an interesting webinar recently and you know when you look at they actually came up on trace minerals but one of the comments was that molybdenum in water has less effect on some of the other minerals than molybdenum in the feed just because it's uh flushed through so quickly mm-hmm. in the rumen so it doesn't alter your absorption of trace minerals i just thought that was kind of interesting um you know we worry about anything being off in the water, but some of those things um, might not be as important as we once thought they were.
0: Yeah, I know it's it's something that uh, I should do more of. But testing water is is probably one of the most important things that as a as a nutritionist or even as a veterinarian that we can do because if the water's off, it just throws everything else out of whack. And a lot of times when we are troubleshooting, it's one of the first things I go look at. Um, but typically, it's like if there's if there's no problem, then it's kind of you just kind of walk by it right and you don't think about it other than you know walking by the troughs and looking in there and seeing if uh seeing if there's manure or feed particles or whatever in the in the bottom there so
2: yeah we worry so much about uh dry matter intake and uh, milk production when in actual fact what we need most of is to get water in and move shit out yeah <laughs> <from that
0: area. laughs> yeah and it helps with that process too <laughs> Mac, did you have any thoughts on uh, water quality or availability?
1: Um, nothing really to add. Just make sure you've got uh, make sure it's clean. Um, if, uh, if you don't want to drink it, um, the cows shouldn't be drinking it. And the other thing is troughs. Like If you got tip troughs, make sure you tip them. I, especially heifer burns, I find that some of them are just um, disgusting. Um, they, they, they smell like a they smell like a, a toilet that hasn't been flushed for a long time. Um, so, you know, make sure they're tipped daily. Um, and, you know, maybe in the, and most likely in the dairy barn, it's probably not a big deal because they're, they're being used more often because the demand's so high. But um, uh, just in heifer barns or in uh, calf barns, just if they have got tip troughs or you've got water bowls, or just make sure they're clean. Um, just clean yeah
2: i uh did a typical vet thing and made note of a dirty heifer water trough and uh the client said yeah the last uh vet in said that too and we cleaned it out uh, twice in between you two being here but these heifers just stand there and play in it all the time so it gets dirty yeah. instantly so i mean it's, it's a- some of those preventative measures to keep the heifers from standing in it or cows to stand in it
0: yeah, you see a lot of that in the, in barns too, if the waters are maybe just a little bit on the low side or, you know, seeing a lot of farms where they're putting bars above the water trough so that they can get their head in there, but they can't, uh, can't necessarily, necessarily stand and, and wait in it. So was there anything else that, uh, any kind of closing thoughts that any, you might have Reg, um, before we uh, we close this podcast out?
2: I feel like I should say something profound, but, uh, in actual fact, I think we covered a few good points there. So unless you're baiting me with something that you really wanted me to talk about, just come nope. out and say it, Keith.
0: No, nope. <laughs> <laughs> everything you say is profound, Reg. <laughs> uh, Mac, yeah, what about, funny. uh, yeah. What about from your, uh, you there?
1: No, I think we've, I think we've covered, uh, I think we've done a decent job of covering everything about heat and heat stress. Um, yeah, I think the most important thing first off is wind and then take it from there. Um, mm-hmm. just, uh, make sure you, I don't know. I think we didn't, didn't talk a lot about big, we started talking about big ass fans. Most barns don't have enough of them in there. They're too far apart. I've got one barn that's going to put essentially big ass fans in between their big ass fans. So if you've got some, um, if you stand in right in between, uh, Halfway in between both fans, I'm guessing you're not getting much wind um, other than that. So just go out and check your barns out and see where the wind is. And just watch the cows. You'll know exactly where the wind is and where it's not. And then where the, wherever the cows are not choosing to lie first, then needs more wind.
0: Yeah, I had a, kind of a funny thing happen last week uh, during the heat. I had my anonymator out. I can finally say that word. I've practiced for about a year now, but, uh, anyways, I had it and, uh, we're just measuring some stuff, you know, it's a new build. Um, I thought that the air was maybe a little bit heavier than what, what the other barn was like. So we were going to go and check it out and, you know, and sitting there with my uh, wind meter in the stall, sitting down at cow level, the cows were out there up in the parlor and just to see what the wind speeds were. And I'm sitting underneath the fan and there's no wind, so we get looking. And we get looking through the barn and two thirds of the fans in the barn were wired backwards. So they're on three phase hydro. So you can wire them backwards. And uh, anyways, they were hooked up incorrectly. So they're actually blowing air up towards the roof and they weren't getting any air in over the cows. So I guess it's one of those things that uh, you just really have to be cognizant of uh, on a new build or even uh, even with uh, coming into spring before the heat hits is make sure your fans are, are cleaned up and make sure they're moving in the right direction and there's no bird nests or any other obstructions to kind of keep that airflow, uh, from hitting the cows. So I thought that was an interesting observation on a Friday afternoon.
2: Right at, right at beer o'clock, eh, Keith?
0: (laughs) Yep. Well, a little bit before beer o'clock, but, (laughs) uh, anyways, thanks Reg and thanks Mac for coming on the podcast. I, uh, I really appreciate it. And I really hope that, uh, we could share some good insights and some profound thoughts and uh to with some of the producers from across canada um i know uh western ontario and southwestern ontario probably sees a little bit more heat uh issues in the summer than a lot of other places but uh yeah i think it's it's good uh it's good to talk about and, and good to share some of these thoughts with producers so thanks guys and i appreciate it
2: thanks for having us thanks, Keith. Yeah,
0: take care. thanks for listening This episode of the podcast is brought to you by the dairy team at Trout Nutrition Canada and our SureGain dealer partners. If you enjoyed today's episode, subscribe or follow us on your favorite podcast player and please leave us a review. If you'd like more information about today's discussions, please reach out. We have left our contact information in the show notes. I would also like to extend a special thanks to our sound engineer, Daniel Noguera.